Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around the Word of God, the table of the Lord in a, a different form. We thank you for the table of the Lord. You've said you've set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I thank you, Lord, that what you supply is good. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, that is by food, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Thank you that this, the word of God, is the bread of life sent down from heaven by which we are satisfied, by which if we eat, we live forevermore. So we thank you for the Christ. And Lord, would you grant to everyone here today an, an ample portion of the Christ, the life of Christ, the grace of God. Lord, we receive it. Holy Spirit, come be our teacher. Grant us understanding today. Open eyes to see. Move hearts today. Grant understanding deep in the heart today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just rearrange the furniture here. Friends, I have a little treat for you. And um, there's, there's a lot of humour in it, but it doesn't mean it's silly. In fact, when I first heard this song, I was sitting there tending to be, to be weepy, so moved. It's a funny song, but so moving. It's not written to be silly. It's, it's written to carry a tremendous message. Now, it's Irish and sung in a very Irish way. And uh, it's a fellow singing about what it was like, like growing up in the very traditional evangelical church what it was like as a boy and he sees the funny side of a whole lot of things but there's a point to all of this and in the end though there is one particular thing I want to highlight that I want to discuss with you for a little bit now so we're going to play you the song and before we started playing hopefully this is on the headline there it is the song is called Inside the Gospel Hall it's sung fantastically the music's great nobody knows who did it it's up on YouTube. If you just Google, you know, inside the Gospel Hall, this is what comes up. And it's a lot of fun, actually, to hear it over and over. Now, uh, we're going to play the song, and not everybody picks up words when they hear them. So I'm going to put the words up as it goes along, so you'll be able to know what the fellow's actually saying. All right? Now, remember, it's not trite. It is very funny. It's, uh, it's not a takeoff. It's not taking the mickey out of anything. It's just, it is very funny. But I tell you what, it, it gets pointed. And uh, anyway, here we go. You ready? If we get some sound up, we'll give you the first lot of words. Inside the gospel hall, inside the gospel hall, the truth of Jesus came to me inside the gospel hall. God gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he called. And praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall. Well, every Sunday morning, put on my Sunday best. My trousers were so itchy that I could not sit at rest. Me ma gave me a threatening look and I wouldn't move at all. And I said, still no matter what, inside the gospel hall, there's no sign of sin. But we all know our place. We say our prayers with these and vows, but less would be disgrace. We wear our very Sunday that's the suit and tie and all. And if you don't, we'll pray for you inside the gospel hall. Inside the gospel hall. Inside the gospel hall, the truth of Jesus came to me inside the gospel hall. God gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he called. And praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall. Well, every 
evening often eaten we would go We listened to the preachers sitting in the front of row. They'd pour all Irish accents for preaching out to all We thanked the Lord for all King James and signed with Gospel Hall But my little girl was tired from hearing so much preaching He fell asleep as head fell back but well within my reach I pitched his lady stood right up and to the shock of all He shouted out, just let me sleep inside the gospel hall Just get inside the gospel hall Inside the gospel hall The truth of Jesus came to me inside the gospel hall God gave me ears to listen And I answered when he called And praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall We never used no instruments to glorify his name There was no wooden brother no organ or the same, but in our hearts a melody that cannot be annulled. So let us sing it heartily now, just like the gospel hall. Inside the gospel hall, inside the gospel hall, the truth of Jesus came to me inside the gospel hall. He gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he called. And praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall. Inside the gospel hall, inside the gospel hall, the truth of Jesus came to me inside the gospel hall. God gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he called. And praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall. Praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall. Praise the Lord, my soul was saved inside the gospel hall. What it's a great demonstration of is that, that human life is very ordinary, but it is in the fellowship of the church and under the preaching of the word of God that the Lord takes hold of people that he is calling to be his own. The call is much wider than those who are apparently saved. But to be saved, there has to be a call. And you notice his line here, God gave me ears to listen, and I answered when he called. So here's a boy growing up in church, you know, the usual mucking around, an uncomfortable, it's a very straight-laced place. They didn't even use music, as some didn't. Well, they sang, they sang, but no instruments. And, uh, you know, what we would think in these days is rigid, but it is amazing how when you sit under the word of God, when you're in the fellowship of the church, all of a sudden the word of God takes hold of you and is totally transforming of life. But the thing I wanted to emphasize today is it's not you that chooses Jesus. He chooses you. It's a very important thing. And uh, we ought to put some emphasis on this for a little while. And, and I want to today. And here's the question. Did you receive Jesus or did Jesus receive you? And there, might, there are a lot of people who prayed to receive Jesus, but Jesus didn't receive them. I'll tell you a story or two in a minute to, to demonstrate that. The fact is, he called you and you responded. Now his call goes out. He, he himself said, many are called. The call goes out. In his parable he said, go out to the highways and byways, compel them to come in. 
We, we try to get people to hear the Word of God, to sit under the Word of God, because it's sitting under the Word of God that, that sooner or later the, the real call of God comes and there's an opportunity. It's, it's not some kind offer and you can take it or leave it. The alternative of, of, of ignoring it is not good. But the call comes and your opportunity is to surrender, to yield. C.S. Lewis is famous for having, when he was a 14-year-old or so, decided he was an atheist. And he, he pursued that line for years. He became an academic. He became an Oxford don. And all those years he resisted and resisted, resisted the call of God. All, all those years in his mind he kept convincing himself there was no God, shutting out all the other little inclinations and inferences. And, if, and he said... He said God was quite unfair about it. He kept turning up in all kinds of ways because the, the call upon him was persistent until eventually C.S. Lewis said he had no choice. He came face to face with it. He said, he said I was the most reluctant convert in all of Christendom. He said in the end I had to give in and admit that God was God. This is the dogged persistence of the Holy Spirit in pursuing those who are called. But human nature is such that we doggedly resist and avoid and dodge. And you keep doing that, you're lost in eternity. Blessed are you if you, if you have ears to listen and you hear the call, but don't think for one minute it's a deal you do with God. This, this is not two parties that are equal. What he has in mind is Holy Covenant and in Holy Covenant he has arranged all the affairs. He, he declares how it works and your task is to submit. Under that Holy Covenant there is no end of things he will do for you. But he calls you into complete submission to himself. But it's in the submission, it's in the surrender. It's in the taking up of your cross and following Christ. It's in the giving up of your own rights. You know, Jesus said, if anyone seeks to save his own life, he will lose it or keep his own life. He'll lose it. But, but he who, who gives his own life for my sake in the Gospels, he will find it. It's in this surrendering to him, giving up our own rights, that we find the real transforming life of Jesus that so changes us. And so the, the question you've, you must ask yourself is, is, are you just at a very human level with this in which you haven't really had the divine change at all? You're still thinking, no, you know, you'll give Jesus a place in your life. No, no, no. The question is, has Jesus received you? Because he only receives you on his own conditions and you have to meet them and you meet them by surrender, by yielding. Um, here's a little book that was mailed to me last week. It was my fault because I asked this preacher down south if he had a book on another subject entirely. And he said, well, I used to have a book on that subject by D.T. Niles, but I, I threw it out. Or um, he said, I might have given it away. But he said, I've got another old book here by D.T. Niles. And so he sent me this one. And I've been enjoying reading this. It's called The Preacher's Task and the Stone of Stumbling. And this was published in 1957, and D.T. Niles 
was a Ceylonese. Today we would call him a Sri Lankan. And he was the grandson of the first of two converts that were ever made in the old Ceylon back in the early 1800s. And in 1957, he was asked, he became you know, a, a well-known international preacher, and he was asked to go to America and present a special series of lectures at some huge university. And these are the published lectures from 1957. And his first chapter here is called Preaching Incarnate God. There were two sentences I wanted to read to you from page 20 here. First of all, he quotes Jesus. I am the vine, said Jesus, abide in me. Now, that's not a request. That's an instruction. I am the vine, said Jesus. There's no other vine. If you're not in that vine, you're dead. I am the vine, said Jesus. Abide in me. Now, he comments on this. Now, now listen carefully to the comment. This is older language and you've got to get it. He said, it is in this, these words, that, our, that the problem of our faith is constituted. He said, for the problem of faith is not to receive Jesus into our life, but to, to be received into his. To enter into his death, to enter into his resurrection, to enter into his ministry to save the world, and finally, to enter into his glory. Further down, this is the bit I really wanted to get to. Why has he come? He has come to take possession of his own. He's come to take possession of his own in whatever household that possession may be. In other words, it doesn't matter who you think owns you. It doesn't matter if you think you own the house. You don't. He has come to take possession of his own in whatever household that possession may be. How will he take possession? By claiming his own and refusing to quit that claim, however costly it may be either to him or to us. So these are some of the other facets of gospel preaching. And so uh, just for a couple of minutes, let's, let's consider this. The question of calling, first of all. Take a look at Matthew 22. Here's a parable. Matthew 22, and we're just looking at the last few verses of the parable, 11 to 14, which hopefully will appear on the screen. Any moment I begin to read. Here's, here's the last part of that parable of the, the wedding feast where there were lots of guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get here, in here without a wedding garment? Now this is the same feast to which, you know, out in the highways and byways compel them all to come in. So lots of people have come in. And this is the gospel call. Lots of people respond to the gospel call, come into the church. But there's an issue with those who refuse to wear the wedding garment. Now, do you know what the wedding garment is? It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have to be, the, you have to be clothed with him, clothed with Christ. The New Testament talks about the need to clothe yourself with Christ. If, you, if your life is not clothed with Christ, you're not, you're not going to last five minutes inside the, the hall to which you were invited. 
Now, there's lots of ways of describing it. Here's one way of describing it. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Without a wedding garment. And he was speechless. Then the king, and that's the truth. People have a lot to say now. But, but you know, one day when you, when you stand before the reality of eternity, and unless you've got Jesus to cling to, you'll have nothing to say. It's indefensible. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for, Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And I've often thought of the church, that is meetings of the church all over the world, as, a thresh, as the threshing floor. It is a threshing floor. The Bible uses this kind of language. Uh, because in the old days, you know, when you harvested the wheat and you bring in the sheaves, you had to thresh it. So you'd, you'd, you'd beat it and out would come the grain and you'd end up with a pile of grain, you'd end up with chaff and the grain is stored, it's valuable and the chaff is thrown away and burned. And this is what happens when there's a gospel harvest. The call goes out, you know, come to Christ, come and believe, Christ died for you. He, his life is for you. Come and surrender. You know, no wonder, no wonder the common song that uh, Billy Graham used to always use with his crusades was, just as I am, you know, just as I am, without one plea, that is without, without one argument, without any defense, just as I am, without one plea, except that, you know, you, the Saviour died for me, I come. That's our only plea. And you have this opportunity now the yielding, the surrender. So the, the gospel call goes out to, to gather in. But once gathered in, this is the threshing floor. This is where the word of God proves you true or else not true. This is where the word of God has its outworking in your life and, and you become established in the faith and you're really his and you wear the garment of Christ or else no, you just go along assuming, you know, just assuming. And you were never real, never really, never really in him. Just his ideas in you and not much more. You, you need the Christ. You need your sins genuinely washed away. I remember years ago, back in the 1990s, uh, a, a woman came to see me in the church to get prayer. And, um, and she, she was sitting in the office across the desk and chatting and and she was, she was rather proud of some, she was rather proud, in, well I'll be blunt, she was, she was proud of the way men were attracted to her, thinking that, you know, this made her a bit special. You know what I heard the Lord say? Because here was a woman who used to come to church on Sundays, worship, believe she was a Christian, was married to a fellow that believed he was a Christian, their lives are a bit unclean, you always hope that when people you know, regularly come, they get cleaned up. Uh, no, they never did. But they believed they were Christians. They certainly made decisions. They believed the gospel. And she's sitting across the desk from me, and I heard the Lord say, she is still in her sins. Meaning despite all her attendance at church, any decision she'd made, any prayer she thought she'd prayed, any song she thought she'd sung, she had never been washed free from her sins.
he is still in the sins. The great preacher Whitfield was preaching in an Anglican church one day, a crowd of people. And the pastor of the church sitting behind him pulled his coattail and said, Brother Whitfield, stop flattering them. I fear that half of them are going to hell with their eyes open. Anyway, my point is simply that there is a calling and you're meant to respond to that call in such a way that you surrender to Christ so that you are properly gathered into him and what I want you to make sure of today, because the Bible says make sure of all things. The New Testament says to you, make sure of all things. I want you to make sure that, it's, that you're not just believing things about Jesus and there was a time when you prayed to receive him. You need to make sure that you've been properly gathered into him, that you are in Christ, that you're baptized into his death, into his resurrection, into his new life, that you, you wear the garment of Christ, that you're his. So for many are called, but few are chosen. Now when I, when I reflect, um, there, there are several stories I've told you about people getting converted. I've spoken to them about them several times before. I'm going to bring these stories up again today. They've got such lessons in them. They're rich resource, good pictures. When I reflect on my own conversion, I was converted when I was 15. And, and here's what happened in, in brief. As a child growing up, I was very conscious of God. When I, I can remember as a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, running around the farm, I was really conscious of God. Now, I think all children have this in their innocence. They, they're born with a consciousness of God. It, children very easily love Jesus. And I was very conscious of him, and even at 11 years of age, I could lie in the bathtub and, and have a, a whole mental picture of preaching to crowds of people. So I was aware of God, I was aware of preaching, I was aware of the church. I'd been to Sunday school for years, I'd been to church since I was, uh, full-time since I was 10. Uh, we lived on the farm, so we didn't get there all the time before. Anyway, consciousness of God. And the consciousness that there was a God never left me. But, I, but when I became 13, between when I was 13 and 15, as I reflect on it, I had no sense of identity at all, who I was, and that's because I, I wasn't born again and I wasn't really in Christ. And what had happened is when I was about 13, looking back on it, I realised I had passed from the innocence of childhood to an age of accountability where you start making real choices about who you are. And I know for that two years I was lost. And it's not that I did a lot of evil things, although I did a lot of stupid things, mucking up in school and all the rest. I'd never mucked up in school before, but I did in those two years. And as I look back on it now, it's real, I realise it's because I didn't have any clear sense of who I was or what life was about or where we are going. I, you know, just me living day by day, not particularly enjoying school, and yet, for all intents and purposes, in, enjoying life, but aimless and, it was, and not having much of a clue. And that's because I'd left behind the age of innocence where I probably did have a sense of who I was and now I didn't. Until, like that song, uh, 
He heard when the call came. You know, I, I sat under five years of gospel preaching, Sunday morning, Sunday night. I must have heard so many gospel messages, and I don't remember one of them. There was never, never was there a time of sitting in a meeting and, and aware of the call of God until this weekend. And you know that on that weekend, a special, it was a special conference, and I must have sat in meetings, seven of them at least, with a, a great evangelist, a great evangelist, and he preached all these messages. I heard them all, but sitting in the back row with your mates, crowded church, heard them all, heard all these stories, all these stories about people led to Christ, alcoholic surrendering, prostitutes, breakthroughs in life, and healings of broken lives, astounding stories. And I'm sitting there listening to it all, but no sense of call, no sense of conviction, no sense of my place in the scheme of things, just interesting stories. And I came right down to the last meeting. And uh, the appeal had gone on for an hour and maybe 40 other people had gone forward and I'm, I'm right at the back, second last row and there's, I'm 15 and there's other 15, 16, 14, 17 year old kids, this row, that row, that row. And you know, all this appeals, we're singing the songs, you know, we'd heard the great stories. This evangelist doing his thing. But all of a sudden, <laughs> I didn't know it was going to come. I didn't anticipate it. It could have been just like any other meeting, but all of a sudden, ooh, the call, the call of God. I, I had never felt such a thing before, and you didn't want to respond. You, you're in front of all your mates. You know, meeting will be over in five minutes. You, you dig a bit deeper. But, oh, the, the, the drawing, you know, the compulsion, you know, the will of God, the heart of God calling to you, drawing you. This is the call that comes. Now, Hazel never experienced this. You know why? Because in the years of her innocence, she found faith. So she, this, this longer transition didn't take care. There are plenty of people like that. They grow up in the church and the, the love of their innocence easily at some point just just shifts over into the maturity of faith and they know they never have this period of not having that sense of identity in Christ. But I did. And there are lots of people who never grow up in church. I mean, but, the, but the call of God that comes, but it comes. Here's the funny thing. When I look back on that, I realize it's really true. I did not choose him. He chose me. And whether you've experienced it like that or not, that's still the truth. Like even for someone like Hazel who never felt any of that, just in a childhood growing up, you know, made decisions to follow Jesus. The truth is still so that she did not choose him, he chose her. And if you're in Christ, that's the truth for you too. But in terms of a call, a call, this call goes out to a lot more people than respond to it. Some of those people we do see come to church meetings and they do make decisions and they fall away, but the call was still real and the call goes out to lots of others besides. Call goes out to all the world, out to the highways, the byways, compel them to come in. The gospel call is a universal call. The degree of response varies a great deal. The hardening of hearts varies a great deal. But let me tell you, the, the rock of our salvation, which is Jesus, is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
Because if you don't put your faith in him, you will stumble over him. Because there's, there's always something about it that's offensive. The giving up of your own will, that's offensive to many. The humility of it, that's offensive to pride. The, the, the belief that you're not good enough, it's all offensive. The stone of offense, the, rock, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. But this is actually the rock of your salvation. You either yield and find him. Listen, it's not like, it's not like there's a dozen choices and you can pick whichever one you like. There's, there's just this one choice. The life you and I live here, we live on probation. This, this is a probation period which is working out whether you're amongst the chosen or not amongst the chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. So the question is, did, did Christ receive you? I had a fellow come to me years ago. Uh, well, let me tell you the easy story first. Uh, these two stories. I told you about old Mick the alcoholic ages ago. Now Mick, when I met him, he, he was maybe getting close to 80. Slim, tall man, just a nice old guy. Uh, I was a Salvation Army officer at the time and I used to get these fellas come around for, for food or clothing and, and here's poor old Mick, you know, and he'd been an alcoholic for years and I gave him a bed for the night. I put him in the back room of the church in Narrabri and fitted him up with a mattress and a pillow and, and good food, you know, and here it was, nine o'clock at night and he was just a nice old guy. Poor fella, you know, just shot with drunk, with drink. Anyway, I sat down. He's lying on the bed and I just sat down on the floor next to him and I, I said something like, you know, Mick, if you, if you had enough of all of this, you know, would you, would you like to give your life to Christ? And he said he, he wanted to. And I said, well, Mick, you, you pray a prayer. I said, just pray whatever you think about. You, you just pray a prayer and then I'm going to pray for you. And here's what Mick said. Dear God, this bloody grog's no good. In the name of the Holy Ghost, amen. And he was instantly born again. He was, he was instantly gathered into Jesus. In other words, he didn't even pray to receive Jesus. He just said, this bloody grog's no good. It, so it wasn't a case of him receiving Jesus, but Jesus immediately received him. Astounding conversion. It's the surrender of the heart. Words were not needed. Mick, Mick didn't really pray much of a prayer. I mean, almost meaningless words, except they weren't. So his, the truth is, his heart turned. The, the, the call of God must have been there all the while. His heart turned and the Lord gathered him in. He was in Christ. But the other one, this occurred since I was in Rockhampton, so it goes way back to the late 1980s or early 1990s. This fellow came to see me in the office one day and he was... He was here in town and pretty successful in what he did and, and, um, and he was middle-aged by this stage but he came to me because his life was a mess and he wanted to clean it up. He said he wanted to get right with God. And his story was that as a teenager he had made a decision and been born again but within six months had fallen into gross moral sin and loved the immorality and had lived that way for years and years and some pretty gross immorality. So he'd long since lost the knowledge of God. 
Let me tell you, had he died in that condition, he's lost. He's not in Christ at all. Even though he'd made a decision before, been baptized, even though he'd initially known the Lord, no, he is a lost soul bound for hell. Don't kid yourself for one minute that you can make a decision, have your sins forgiven, and then that's it. You can do what you like. You cannot do what you like. You must live clothed with Jesus Christ. Yes, we make mistakes plenty of times. That's why we keep walking with him. Every day, Lord, cleanse me. Every day, heart for God. He forgives your mistakes and your errors and your sins, but you keep walking with him. That keeps you clothed with Jesus. So this fellow comes to me because after 20 years and more of gross sin, his life was such a mess. Um, His conscience, his family a mess. And so I I shared with him the usual things, the gospel, Christ had died for him. He'd confess his sins, you know, the Lord would forgive. You know, just confess your sins, hand your life over to Christ, pray for Christ, take hold of you. I led him in the prayers and the Lord wouldn't touch him. The strangest thing, that he could pray all the things they told him to pray. And I'd pray for him and the Lord would not touch him. So he was trying to receive Jesus but the Lord wouldn't receive him. So he talked to me again the next day, and he talked to me again three days later, and kept talking to me every few days, and this went on for six weeks, and for six weeks I've been leading him in prayers of repentance, leading him praying prayers to receive Jesus, and for six weeks, no matter how many times we did this, the Lord would not receive him. And so I I sought the Lord as to what was wrong. And here's what the Lord said. He said, he doesn't really want me. He's doing this because he just wants me to solve his problems. So the next time, a day later, I meet with him again and, th- and I told him. I said, your problem is, your whole attitude in this is, is you're still doing this only because your life's a mess and it's for what you can get out of it. You're, you're trying to get out of trouble and think God will get you out of trouble. But he's not interested in that. You've got to want him. So I counseled him how to pray, how to humble himself, how to, how to be honest with God and say, yes, that's what I have been like. That has been my attitude to you, and I'm sorry. In other words, repent of the very thing the Lord found offensive. And guess what? When he prayed that prayer, the Lord received him. So the critical thing is the Lord must receive you. You must be in Christ. Any, any liar can say, you know, I believe. Any, anybody can go around saying, yes, I asked Jesus to be my saviour. Anyone can say, Christ is my Lord and saviour. No, is he? Because he's not, he's not actually Lord if you're not in him. Because if he's Lord, he'll have received you. I'll show you one or two more scriptures to bear this out. So that fellow, many words, but very slowly received, not without a great struggle. He's still in touch with me to this day, that fellow. It's been nearly 40 years, 35 years, more than 30 years. Still occasionally calls me for advice and prayer. And he's not in Rockhampton anymore. Romans 1, 5 to 7. You'll, you'll notice in this short little passage how... Called, being called is here twice 
Take a look at the words, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong. See that phrase? You're ca- ca- not just called, you're called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. John 15, 16, of course, is the more famous one. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. John 15, 16, if you got a hold of that back there. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. And John 15, 19, look look more closely at this one. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Um, Time's getting on, so I'm going to bypass the beautiful passage in Ephesians 1. Maybe we come back to it another time. We'll go to Romans chapter 6, verse 5. If we have been united with him, take the words in please. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And if you go to verse 10 of the same chapter, for the death he died to sin once, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also. Um, Romans 6, 10 to 11, if you've got that there. Please, and uh, we'll wait for that to go. But I want you to, I want you to see this little phrase, Romans 6, 10 to 11. There it is. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But now, but look, look at what it says about the life Jesus lives. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And look at the next three words. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Every one of those phrases, very important component part of the whole, consider yourself dead to sin, consider yourself alive to God, consider yourself to be in Christ Jesus. So the last passage of scripture, we go to John 15 and there are, there are five pairs of verses and I want you to follow with me. We're just gonna read them two at a time and let the meaning of each pair touch our hearts. Here's Jesus speaking, by the way. All these are the words of Jesus. So first of all, uh, verses 1 to 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Notice the statement, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. This is the called, but not chosen in the end. You did not bear fruit, he takes away. The next pair, verse three and four. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verses five to six, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered 
thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. There is an if here, but the if applies to if you choose to abide. You're already told what happens if you don't abide. You cut away. But if you abide, ah, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to me my disciples. And the last pair of verses, 9 and 10, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. These are not requests. These are commandments. These are instructions. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the, the emphasis I wanted to bring today, look, we often preach about how, how freely grace is given and grace is freely given. But it's given on the basis of your surrendering to Jesus. You come to Jesus, it doesn't matter how needy you are, how poor you are, how lousy a life you've lived, how little you have to offer. In fact, don't try to offer. Don't come saying, Lord, well, I've got a lot I can offer you if you'll only do this and this for me. It doesn't work. You're left in the cold. You come with empty hands and you say, Lord, I can do nothing but surrender. You are the Lord. If you'll simply place your life in his hands, you will find your true identity. Back in that meeting when I was 15, I resisted and resisted, probably through another two or three verses or choruses of that song. But finally, uh, somehow you cross this little moment, somehow in the, in the heart there's a yielding, a giving in. And for, of course the call in the meeting was to come forward and so the moment, the moment my weight shifted, my backside was still on the chair. But the moment my weight shifted, because you know you yield and you, you make that little move in that instant, I was so born again, so transformed. I, all, all that sense of identity, it, it, in, I didn't need counsel, I didn't need people to pray for me, it, it didn't even take a split second, it was instant the full sense of identity in Christ, the purpose of life, who I was, the security, that sense of belonging. And there has never been a moment since that moment when I did not know who I was and why I was here. I thank God for salvation. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be redeemed by the blood. This is what it means to come alive in Christ. This is what it means to be born from above or born by the Spirit. And every single little boy and girl in this world needs to be so born from above. This is you. Find your identity in Christ. The critical thing is not that you tink around the edges and think you're a Christian. The critical thing is that you're in with the surrender of the heart, ah, gathered into Christ. Now you're in Christ. Now you're in faith. Now you're in hope. Now you're in love. Now you're in the Holy Spirit. Now you're clothed with Jesus. Praise God.
There's nothing like it. This is your eternal salvation. And though the body gets older day by day, the inner man, the inner person, renewed day by day, and the light gets brighter until we see Jesus. We look forward to seeing Jesus. Well, thank God. Pray with me now. Let's, let's if, if your heart is not already humble before the Lord, humble it now. Just cl- close your eyes with me. and Bow your heads. You're, you're inside the gospel hall. And the call of God comes to people even now. Even now people will be hearing the call of God. The Spirit of the Lord touching consciences, speaking to hearts, a sense of drawing, a sense of appeal, or, or conv- it's deep conviction or something in your conscience. You, you know you're not right with God. You want to be right with God. That's the call of God, call to salvation. Call to follow him. Call to be a disciple of Jesus. Call to live life in the light of the gospel. Called to bear fruit to God. Called to eternity. Called to be part of the very life of Jesus in eternity. Now hear the call. Listen when he calls. Let, let your salvation be a great one. Let it be a real one. As his arms gather you into Jesus. And then you really will know the Lord. And you will know him. And you will know who you are. So this is your moment. Right where you're sitting right now. Make peace with God. Peace with God does not come from a group just agreeing in some way with something he says, doesn't come from just believing it, doesn't come from giving him part of what he asks. No, peace with God comes from you surrendering in the war. Your soul is warring, but you surrender to him. You find peace with God. Then he invests himself in you. So just where you're seated right now, do business with God. Yield, yield to him. I'm going to invite the musicians to come, please. Gather around. And Meanwhile, as they're coming, we're, we're praying. Everyone in the spirit of prayer, those of you amongst us who know the Lord well, pray for the souls of those who don't know the Lord well. Pray for the souls of anyone here who may still be in their sins like that woman who came to visit me. Pray that the light of Christ would dawn or the conviction of God would come to their heart. Pray that the, their yielding would take place and discover what it is to be born again to a living hope. Find an eternal salvation in Christ Jesus who died for them. And so just now, surrender the heart. Every, every one of you, surrender your hearts that you might know him that you might find him.